This is The Guardian. Today, the growing disgust at the decision of P&O ferries to sack 800 workers without warning. It had seemed like any other Thursday morning for the UK workers of P&O ferries. But on the 17th of March, word started getting around that a company announcement was coming. We knew it was going to be a big announcement, whether it be a merge or the company's been bought out. We knew something was happening, it was going to be big. We're calling this P&O worker Adele. I got the email and it was just a link to a Teams call and it was by a man that I've never seen before. I was in the RMT office in Dover. This is Lee. We knew that something was going on, the ships had been laid up. So I got down to the ships and just said to everyone, look, get the doors locked. Don't let anyone on the ships until we know what's happening. I then came down to the office and then we got an email saying there'd be a Teams meeting at 10 past 11. The video link flickered into life and on screen. 800 employees of P&O Ferries watched as a senior company executive read a prepared statement. Therefore, I am sorry to inform you that this means your employment is terminated with the immediate effect on the grounds of redundancy. Your final day of employment is today. So I was listening to it, but not really taking it all in. And then as soon as the three minute video ended, I had to leave the room. I don't think I just took a breath, I cried a little bit, but it was still the shock of it all. It wasn't real, like it was, none of it was real. And it did take literally a week for it to actually set in that I have lost my job now. Because of my position within the union, I had to sort of hold it together because I've got people in bits around me. I'm still a bit numb now. I don't think it's quite sort of sunk in 100%. My phone was going mad, I've grown men ringing me up, what am I going to do, I've just bought an house, I've got a mortgage, I've got kids. And at the end of the day, we were sacked for being British. We were sacked for being British seafarers on collective terms and conditions, wanting sick pay, a good salary, paid leave and a pension. Surely that's not too much to ask in this day and age. By firing 800 workers and replacing them with agency staff, the company said it was cutting its wage bill in half. But the backlash was instant. Shame on you! In the port city of Dover, where P&O operates some of its busiest routes, dozens of people joined workers to protest against the decision. Support the workers! Support the workers! They've been sacked by email! They've been sacked by Microsoft Teams! Support the seafarers! Yeah, stay where you are! This week, the Transport Secretary Grant Shapps said he was giving P&O Ferries one last chance. He called on the company to reinstate the laid-off workers before the government closes one of the legal loopholes that let this happen. From The Guardian, I'm Noshin Iqbal. Today in Focus, outrage, protest and government threats. 
But can anything force Piendo to rethink the mass sacking of its workers? Lee and Adele, can you both tell me what your jobs were with Piendo and how long you'd work there? I was a deck petty officer and I've been with them since leaving school 30 years ago. So I'm just a um, deckhand. Uh, so I'm along with my crew uh, on mooring, loading, bridge watch, lookout duties, general maintenance. It's just basically keeping the ship afloat, really, keeping it from A to B. I've been there for nearly five years now. Started when I was like, just turned 18. Was promised a career with them, like to grow in the industry, to be, you know, one of your first females in that industry doing just a decent job. So I was promised a dream that was short-lived. Did you enjoy the work? Loved my job. I loved it. I used to love going to work. I used to love it when it was sunny and we could do maintenance and stuff like that. I used to love it when it was rough because you'd have to, it would engage your brain. You're thinking about what you're doing. Your adrenaline would take over. We'd be dropping anchors, taking tugs. Something different every day. We, we were treated like, um, like adults, like grown-ups, take responsibility for situations and stuff like that. It was always something different. I loved my job. Um, again, I wouldn't, I've, I copied my dad. My dad's done it for 25 years. And I thought, you know, that's something I want to do. We were one crew, you live there. So you laugh with these people, you cry with these people, you live with them. If you don't mind me asking, what was the pay like? So I, I was an apprentice. So I did a couple of years on apprentice money, which you just make work. Um, and the pay wasn't bad. It wasn't obviously amazing. You got other companies that pay a lot more for the same job role. It was just, it was, it was okay. You make it work. Did it feel like a stable job? It's a job for life. I, I've got young guys that've been here five, six, seven, eight years that were told you're the future of this company in the deck department and the engine room. And they believed all this. They've had the rug pulled from under them. They've got mortgages, they've got young children. They've only been there a short period of time, so their redundancy offers aren't that fantastic. So they're gonna to have to find work straight away. I mean, P&O's been, been a company for forever, it seems like. My, my family have worked there for years and years. I know people that have been there, their dads have been there, their granddads have been there. It's just a stable company. You don't think it's going anywhere. You think, yeah, they look after their employees. Otherwise, why would they have a crew that have been there for 40 years. Joanna Partridge, you're a business reporter at The Guardian and you've been following the P&O story since it broke. When we're trying to understand the events of the past week or so about P&O, where is the best place to start? Nasheen, the history of P&O dates actually as far back as the 1830s to paddle steamers. At the time, it originally stood for the Peninsula and Orient Steam Navigation Company, and it grew up during the British Empire. P&O became a household name in the 1970s as well, when it started doing leisure travel. Now your continental holidays can really begin in style with P&O European ferries. Why sail across the Channel when you can cruise across? But I guess the seeds of this particular story go back to 2006. At the time, the company owned some of Britain's biggest seaports, as well as ports around the world. And it had a fleet of ferries that ran services, including Dover to Calais. And after a bidding war, it was bought by Dubai's DP World, a company that's 
ultimately owned by the ruling family there, for £3.3 billion. Was that sale controversial at the time? It was, but not for the reasons that you might now imagine. The price tag of £3.3 caused quite a lot of surprise at the time. It was about 70% over the business's market value. And even then, it was clear, though, that the main attraction of the business for DP World were the ports. DP World bosses admitted at the time they didn't know that much about the ferry business that came as part of the deal, although they did deny plans to sell them off. However, later, uh, around the time of the financial crisis, the ferry business was indeed sold to a different state-owned business in Dubai called Dubai World. And then, in yet another twist, DP World bought the business back in 2019 for $322 million. And at the time in 2006, there was a big controversy in the United States over security uh, concerns, and DP World ended up agreeing to sell off the six US ports, which it got as part of the deal, because there was discussions in the United States that ownership of what was seen as critical infrastructure by the United Arab Emirates uh, raised a lot of discussions about national security. There's even talk about Islamic extremists potentially getting access right. to ports. But there was little talk at the time about what it might mean for workers' rights, even if workers aren't seen to have that much power in Gulf states. So it's bought in 2006, and obviously there's been a bit of a bumpy ride along the way. But how does it fare under its new owners in the subsequent years? In recent times, P&O hasn't had that good a time of it. Its ferry division has been loss-making and it's been battling to cut costs there. And I think for the parent company, DP World, that the ferry services haven't really been their focus. They've been much more focused on ports around the world that it owns. It's seen as having had higher costs than its competitors, mostly because of having higher labour costs. Also, it didn't have a good pandemic. If you remember, leisure travel completely ground to a halt and trade foes were interrupted as well. Although the company did receive furlough money from the UK government. And then in recent weeks, it seems to have come up with this plan to dismiss 800 workers, which it says is going to allow it to halve its staff costs. And the company says that this is the only option to save the business and save the remaining 2,200 jobs. Seize the ships! Now! Seize the ships! Now! Seize the ships! Now! Lee and Adele, what have you been told about what happens now regarding your redundancy? I've had to book in with a solicitor. Um about signing a non-disclosure agreement, which I've had sent to union barristers. They've said I can sign them with this agency, so I can go back and work for £5.50 an hour, or £5.15 an hour, whatever it is. I'm a professional seafarer. I've worked hard for my job. Um, And to be honest, I don't want any help. I want my job back on my rates of pay, my terms and conditions, with my pension contributions, my leave entitlement and my sick pay. That's what I want. I've had one email with my severance package deal that they were offering and then that is it. That's all I've had. I've had no phone calls or emails or anything about the next steps. What what are we doing next? So I've had nothing. What does that severance package look like? And you don't have to give me figures, but what I'd like to know, is it two weeks pay or is it like six months pay? 
it amounts to maybe f five months pay ish but yeah it's not um, it's not amazing because i wasn't i haven't been there for 15 years i wasn't on the best contract i wasn't on the best money so to them it probably looks like they're doing this really nice gesture by giving offering us this kind of money but you know it's taken away our livelihoods it's taken away our families on board it's just like that how long will you give it what will you do if you don't find something in the industry within the next few months um I haven't really thought about it in that much depth. I wouldn't really like to, but I'd like to stay in the industry because, you know, I spent so long training to be where I am now and it would all just be a big waste of time. And it'd be like P&O 1 almost if I don't stay in the industry. Joanna, we have laws in the UK to prevent the mass sacking of workers like this with no warning. So how was what P&O did even possible? The company, for its part, says that because its vessels weren't British flagged, it didn't have to inform the government in advance of the sackings. Although it has emerged that P&O did let the government know of its plans hours before the workers were told. P&O in 2019 said that it was going to reflag its fleet, which was previously registered in the UK, and was going to change the flag to Cyprus. And at the time, the company said this was due to Brexit, and by keeping the ships registered in an EU nation, it would allow it to keep its tax arrangements within the block. But uh, some of its ships are also flagged in other countries. But because they're flagged outside of the EU, the company seems to say... That's why it was able to do what it did. There have been uh, suggestions by employment experts that one reason why P&O ferries didn't have to inform the Secretary of State of the mass redundancies was because of a, a change in legislation which was amended by the former Transport Secretary Chris Grayling in 2018. And that amendment meant that ships which are registered overseas, as was the case with P&O ferries, don't have to notify the Secretary of State in advance of making mass redundancies. So that is one suggestion from employment experts. So Chris Grayling, who is no stranger to political blunders, he may have also had a hand in this, so that P&O can employ British workers who live permanently in Britain, who work out of a British port, but from what you're saying, they don't have British employment rights. There does seem to be this loophole in the law. There's a lot of discussion between employment lawyers about exactly what's possible in this case. And it's prompted a much wider discussion about UK employment law and whether workers are always treated fairly. Now, the unions and Labour are calling on the government to use this case as an impetus to reform employment law and close some of these loopholes. Unions are calling for this to be a turning point in employee treatment. So what has the government's response been? So far, some would say that there's been a lot of outrage from government, but not much action. There's been quite a lot of letter writing, both from Grant Shapps, the Transport Secretary, and from Kwasi Kwarteng, the Business Secretary, demanding that the company account for its actions. Rather embarrassingly at first, it turned out that those letters were initially sent to the wrong person because they'd got the chief executive's details from the company website and said it hadn't been updated, so it still had the former executive's details wow. on there. But Grant Shapps has uh, been calling for the boss of P&O Ferries, Peter Hevelthwaite, to resign. And Boris Johnson has told Parliament that he thought that laws had been Mr. broken. Speaker, as though the company concerned has broken the law. And we will be taking action, therefore, and we'll, we will be encouraging uh, workers themselves to take action under... 
So is there really nothing the government can do? It's not entirely clear at this point. The company has admitted, absolutely jaw-droppingly, that it chose not to follow employment law, which would required it to consult with workers at least 45 days before dismissing them. That's caused a lot of outrage, unsurprisingly. Now, a, a remedy for that could be issuing the company with an unlimited fine. There might be other ways, though, for the government to exert pressure on P&O, DP World, the parent company, owns 70 ports worldwide, and two of them are really big container operations in the UK at Southampton and the London Gateway. And these ports are interesting too, because for the government, they're central hubs for the first free ports on the Thames and on the Solent, which the government's been touting as one of its big post-Brexit economic policies. And that comes with millions of pounds of funding to upgrade the port infrastructure to get ready for free ports. The government has said that it's reviewing all of its contracts with DP World as a result of this sacking scandal. We have to be clear as well, though, this has been a total PR disaster for P&O. You have to ask whether the company thought it could slip this news out without attracting too much attention. Who knows? And then the company took almost a week to put out an apology for its actions. Unions say as well that the company's struggling to hire the agency staff that are needed to replace their sacked workers. So it's been several days of services not running, which is obviously making the company lose some money as well. And it's likely, of course, to have destroyed P&O Ferry's reputation among consumers. Lots of people looking to book ferry travel in the coming months may well decide they just don't want to travel with P&O and will go with a competitor instead. Uh, Mr Hebblethwaite, um, when I was reading your biography, it seemed pretty light uh, on your experience as a chief executive officer. Are you in this mess because you don't know what you're doing, or are you just a shameless criminal? Thank you for giving me the opportunity to come and answer questions. Um, and actually, before I answer that question, can I start, please, with an apology? Last week, in a select committee hearing of MPs in Parliament, the P&O Ferries boss Peter Hebblethwaite was called in to explain himself. What did he have to say? The session when Hebblethwaite appeared in front of MPs, I mean, he would have been wise to expect a grilling, and that's certainly what he got from the, from the opening questions onwards. It was clear how appalled MPs were by the company's actions. At times, the session was both toe-curling and jaw-dropping, if I can use both of those comparisons. Mr Hebblethwaite, uh, did p have a duty to consult the unions in good time over the redundancies? There's absolutely no doubt that we were required to consult with the unions. We chose not to do that because we believe... You chose to break the law. Some of the most shocking moments, though, were when Hebblethwaite admitted that the firm was required by employment law to consult unions before dismissing staff and that they decided not to. Uh, he said it was because no union would have accepted this plan and so the company made the decision that it was easier to pay workers higher levels of compensation instead. It was our assessment that the change was of such a magnitude that no union could possibly accept our proposal. Oh, you're right about that, Mr. I've never heard such farcical answers to a series of questions. Okay, can I move on, Chair? And that's that's not going to come cheap for the firm. It's going to cost it £36.5 million in total. Now, Hebblethwaite apologised for the mass sacking of workers and what it means for the people involved and their families. But he's saying that it was necessary to save the business and to save the remaining 2,200 
jobs at the company, he said that he would do the same again and said this was the the only option. But uh, few employment experts can remember a similar situation where a company has decided to completely discount employment law and just impose a mass sacking in this way. Was Hebblethwaite right on that last point, at least? Was this drastic action the only way to save the business? That's a tough one to answer. P&O Ferries, there were clearly financial difficulties, but its parent company is doing very well and is profitable and made over a billion dollars in profits last year. It's very hard to say why a company would ever decide that it could act outside of the law and that was the only option possible. It appears to have been a business decision that they decided that they would take the potential flack from government or, or a potential fine or any or any measures it would face. It obviously decided that this was the path that it was going to follow. During the select committee hearing with MPs as well, Hebblethwaite was pressed about whether he would take a performance-related bonus if it's offered to him, and he just didn't give an answer on that as well. Adele, what do you think about the company's explanation that it didn't consult with staff because they knew, they knew the union would never agree to what they had planned? Well, of course we wouldn't. But we'd have looked at other options. Peter knew what he was doing was wrong and he knew trade unions and the public would agree what he's done is disgusting. It's an insult to all of us. Listen, he said that this was discussed, or it was one of the options, in November the 22nd of last year. Since then, we've negotiated pay rises. We've negotiated increases in death in service. To, so they've sat there smirking at us, knowing that all of a sudden they're going to give us this, and then they're going to sack us all. It's utter lies. Joanna, these are highly skilled jobs and there is now a fear that these new workers might not actually be up to the same kind of training. Now, the seafarers predict that this could be a maritime disaster waiting to happen. So can customers feel confident about P&O services going forward? That's a tough one to answer. I know that the company had been looking for some time to try and change the working patterns of the existing workers by getting them, instead of working one week on and one week off, to try and get them to spend two weeks on the vessel at any one time before two weeks off. And in the past, there was, a, I believe, a Cardiff University study which said that this was actually not a good idea for safety. So the existing workers who've just lost their jobs have quite rightly raised concerns about safety. But there are also various regulations that companies have to follow with their vessels. So uh, they wouldn't just be allowed to send a ferry off on a journey with fewer crew members than required. It sounds like at the moment it's proving quite difficult for P&O to get enough people on board and willing to work for them in these new agency roles. So from everything we've read, these new agency workers are said to be paid £5.15 pence an hour. And there's been some reports that some will be paid under £2. But the UK minimum wage is £9.50 an hour. So how is this even possible? 
The company says that because its ships are registered outside the UK offshore, and there's been some suggestion as well that because the seafarers' contracts were signed outside of the UK too, that's what allows them not to have to pay the UK minimum wage. Even though these are UK workers who live in the UK and start work in the UK, because of where the ship is registered offshore or potentially because of where their work contracts are based as well, that allows these workers in future not to be paid UK minimum wage and instead the company has to stick to international maritime standards and the £5.50 an hour which they say on average they're going to pay these new agency workers is indeed in line with international maritime standards. Lee, how do you feel about the workers being brought in to do your job at much lower wages? Everyone's got a right to earn a living, but not at the expense of somebody else. Within our collective bargaining agreement, we've got a number of of members and guys that live in Latvia, and they travel in every week, and they travel home every week. Same rate of pay, same terms and conditions, same pension contributions, same sick pay, same leave. I don't care where people come from, but you've got to have a level playing field. Coming up, How might the P&O sacking scandal affect the rights of other workers in the UK? Joanna, this feels like a major moment for the rights of British workers. This mass sacking by P&O has provoked outrage which is across the political spectrum there's also this disbelief that this could still be possible in this day and age and so as other companies begin to look for ways to cut costs could P&O be seen as a template for how to drastically reduce your staff costs without really any consequences That's part of the reason that there have been a lot of calls from trade unions for this moment and P&O's decision to be the catalyst for change, to close down loopholes in employment law and to ensure that workers have better rights. But it's not clear that's necessarily going to happen. Ministers have previously voted down a motion by Labour to end fire and rehire practices, which other firms like British Gas have opted for in the past. There's a lot of discussion about how this needs to be a turning point for employment rights in the UK, but it's not clear about that. And of course, concerns from people in in maritime as well are that if other competitors to P&O ferries find themselves squeezed, paying higher wages, that they might try and do the same thing. There's no suggestion at the moment that they will, but that's a concern as well, that other companies uh, and maybe in other sectors of the economy might look around and think, we'll just do what P&O ferries did. Joanna, is there anything else that the government can do? Grant Shapps has said that he is speaking to the Shadow Transport Secretary and that they are planning to bring through new legislation that will force companies to pay workers the minimum wage, even those operating uh, these international maritime routes. Shapps has said he believed there's broad parliamentary agreement that new legislation is needed to close this loophole. We'll be returning to Parliament uh, with a package of measures to make sure that situation is undone. So you say undone. I mean, is there anything you can do to get them to reverse it? Oh, yes. I mean, we will change the law to make that happen. 
Adele and Lee, why is it so important for you to keep fighting? So these 800 jobs, they, they're obviously based in not just Dover and Calais, not just Hull, not just Liverpool, anything like that, but it's, it is a domino effect. You've now got 800 people across the company that are now searching for jobs. You've got towns that aren't going to make as much money from the uh, people that we get down here. Um, I just, it is just a domino effect. It may seem something so small that one company has got rid of their employees, but other companies will see that they've done that as well and think, well, they've got away with it. They've had nothing. You know, the government aren't doing anything. Yeah, there was a few protests, there was a few uproar, but, you know, they're still standing and now they're saving money. If they've done it, why can't we? So I think public opinion's with us. And what we need is for everyone to keep this pressure on. Because we've got it within the town, we got everywhere. I take my little girl to school. And I walked out there the other day with a lump in my throat. I was wet because people, everyone's just walking past, keep doing what you're doing, we're behind you 110%. And it's that sort of support that keeps us going. But I think they just, they're hoping that this is going to disappear now until the after the 31st. And then just, what's it they say? Today's news, tomorrow's chip wrappings, isn't it? That's what they've hoped was going to happen last week. But we've kept it going. Lee and Adele, thank you so much for talking to us. Just really, I'm really hoping that you get some good news soon. And you can follow this story as it continues to play out with Joanna Partridge. My thanks to her as well and the rest of our business team at theguardian.com. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Eva Krisiak. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producers are Phil Maynard, and Mythly Rao. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. <laughs>